Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. What is up, Project Church online? How are you all doing? So good to see you. Uh, Man, we are excited for this special kickoff of our live live. Also, we got a a live congregation here. A few of our team um, leaders are in the room, and we're just so excited. So make some noise, guys. You're in the room. We want you to know uh, these are real people. They are not cardboard cutouts. Uh, But we're just so excited to be going live live uh, from our building, broadcasting live from Old Sacramento, a building that's almost done. I mean, we can taste it. It's so close. In fact, uh, if you drive by, you probably notice it's different. Just had some new exterior doors put on, the main entrance. It's going to be incredible. Um, We're praying, we're believing that this pandemic virus is going to end soon. We're going to be able to meet in person. We're praying against death, um, against any more attacks. We know that God's doing something through this season, but we also know this has been a tough season for a lot of people. And so today I'm jumping, jumping back into the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, you can go there with me. I'm going to be reading from verse 42 through 50. And as you just heard, um, my dad, Randy, talked about the title of the message, which is Comfortable Christianity. So I want to ask you, um, I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable. When I get home, I go to, I have a go-to comfy outfit, right? Which for me, because I grew up playing basketball, like my go-to is a cutoff and some basketball shorts. I mean, I get home, and the second I get home, I don't always dress like this, which, oh, I just got to bring attention to this. Um, You know, I haven't dressed up in like, I don't know, nine months or something, so I said, it's the first day of Live Live. I'm going to rock a suit. Let's go. Um, But y'all know I wasn't about to wear a tie, but um, but, uh, man, I was thinking about it. The second I get home today, I'm going to throw on the basketball shorts, the tank top, especially when it's 110 degrees out as we're going to have this week in Sacramento. I hope you all are staying cool this week. Um, But hey, I want to ask you guys out there, like, what is your go-to comfortable, cozy outfit? When you get home, throw it in the chat. Throw it in the comments. Um, Maybe it's an emoji, like, this is what I wear. Um, But but hey, I think we all have our go-to comfortable outfit, right? Um, I know for Chrissy, um, you know, our house, um, she won't let me set it any lower than 76 degrees because apparently that's cold. And I'm in, you know, tank top, shirt off, shorts, sweating. And she's like, it's freezing. She's in a hoodie, pajama pants, sweatpants, walking around. Like, that's her go-to. So I think we all have our go-to of what we're comfortable in. And I think that this is a moment in our world, and especially as Christians in, in America, where it's easy to get comfortable as a Christian, And I also think it's easy to get comfortable in our sin. And so today, uh, I'm going to talk to you about sin. And and I know this isn't a real popular topic in the church anymore, but here at Project Church, like, we go through books of the Bible. We've been walking through the book of Mark verse by verse, and so we can't run from any topic. And here Jesus has some very strong words, some harsh words about how we deal with sin in our lives. And so I want to talk to you. All of you out there listening, our, our you know, team here live about sin. But I think that this moment of comfortability, it's easy to fall into some comfort and maybe some bad habits. In fact, I was looking at the research that Barna Group just came out with, and they said that over these last five months, uh, church attendance online has decreased. Of course, church in-person attendance has decreased, even though other states are starting to open up. Community, in terms of online groups or meeting in person groups, that has decreased. They even said that Bible reading in the last five months has decreased. So of the Christians who said they regularly read the Bible, there's been a drop of close to 15% that are now saying they're not regularly reading their Bibles. So you would think in this moment it'd be easier to read your Bibles, right? I mean, we all have more time, we're stuck at home. But what's happened is being maybe sedentary, being pulled out of our routines, being stuck at home, we've actually fallen out of some of the great rhythms that strengthen us 
as followers of Christ. I actually think, and I don't know this, but I'm just guessing, that probably a lot of Christians right now in this moment are struggling with sin more than ever before. You would think less, right? Like, I mean, there's more time to be with God, but what the statistics are telling us is that people are spending less time with God, and less time with God equates to more time with the world, with their devices, with their screens, right? Um, Engaging in things that maybe really aren't life-giving for them. And so what we're seeing is that Christians right now, there's this comfortability in that like, ah, this is just what it is right now, and I'm okay with maybe just struggling a little bit in my faith, or not being as committed to God, not being in my word as much. And what I think is happening is there's these comfortable Christians, and I think I've even got pulled into it in this moment. We're becoming comfortable in our Christianity. And what's happened is we're complacent. And in our complacency, I think that sin is on the rise in our lives, and righteousness is actually on the decline. Now, let's be real. We are in a spiritual battle. How many would agree? We're in a spiritual battle. This is not a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness. But I think that that's like our number one enemy, but we have a second enemy. That second enemy is ourselves. Let's be real. Like, our second enemy is ourselves. The Bible actually tells us that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Like, naturally, we sin, our flesh. So we're at war. Yes, principalities, powers, darkness, the enemy is attacking us. Um, There's a lot of things going on around us. Just look around in our world. Feels very chaotic. But I also think that we're at, at war and there's a battle going on within ourselves. And it feels like There's a lot of people who've settled into a comfortability as comfortable Christians, and we're actually letting our flesh win this battle right now. And so what I wanted to do today was I wanted to call you to engage in the battle with yourself. Like, we need to battle in in the spiritual realms and in the world, too. We need to be praying, right? We need to be taking things captive, taking the enemy captive, taking any attacks captive. But we also have to take our thoughts captive. We have to take our actions captive. We have to, you know, begin to shift and focus on being righteous followers of Christ. Not comfortable Christians like, ah, this is just how it is right now. I'm fine with how my walk is with God. No. God wants us to be continually growing. How many know if we're not growing, we're dying? And what I think is happening right now is there's this comfortable Christianity that is set in And we are actually dying as followers of Christ. The stats, the studies, the research is telling us that. That we're not moving ahead in the way we should be. We're actually falling back. Now, do I think that's going to be the the continual, uh, gradual thing that we see in in church and in Christianity? No. But I think in this moment, God wanted me to call us to take back our Christianity And saying, I don't want to be comfortable any longer. I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to be complacent. I want to get hungry for righteousness. Hungry for God once again. So I want to talk to you about sin. And I'm going to call you and me to change. I'm going to call you and me to stop. Why? Because Jesus calls us to change. Jesus calls us to stop the sin that would pull us into living like the world rather than different than the world. You see, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, the Bible tells us. And yet, in this moment, I think a lot of us, we're in the world and we're becoming more and more of the world. And it's easy to be of the world because people aren't seeing us as much. And I think we've actually lost the perception that we are to be light and salt. And in this moment, it's like, well, I mean, I'm not out there. I'm not around coworkers as much. I'm just kind of stuck in my house. And so we've fallen into this mindset that, ah, my light could diminish a little. It's not a big deal. All my salt could diminish a little bit in this moment. It's not a big deal. But God is saying, no, now more than ever, the church has to come out of this moment saltier and brighter than ever before. You know, today's culture, they, they say, don't be salty, right? We got a lot of salty people in the church. We need to take back this word and say, no, we need some salty people in the church. 
Come on, somebody. All right, let's read Mark chapter 9, verse 42 through 50. I want you to see just what I'm talking about when Jesus calls us not to sin. So here we go. We're continuing in this study in the book of Mark. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Again, this is very harsh words from Jesus. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Everybody say, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Everybody say, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Everybody say, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Everybody say salty. Salt is good. Uh Uh-huh. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let me pray. Jesus, speak to us from your word. I thank you for it. I pray that you would challenge us in this moment as we're live hearing from you, uh, God, that something would change in us. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And now sin is controlling all of us. And my kids actually the other day were talking to me like, Dad, why did Adam and Eve have to sin? Like, why did they have to do us like this? <laughs> they didn't say it like that. That's how I interpret it, you know. Um, they're like, why did they sin? Like, they messed it all up. Bro. And I had to tell them, like, look, if it wasn't them, it would have been someone else, right? If it wasn't them, it would have been the next, you know, their children. It would have been maybe their children's children. Like, because we are inevitably um, broken as human beings, sin was going to enter the world. And sin came in. And I just want to tell you, when sin came in, right, it began to control us. And now we're in this battle with ourselves, fighting our flesh and the sin that wants to lead us astray. Genesis 4, 7 actually tells us that sin is crouching at the door. You hear that? It's crouching at the door. That means it's like really close. It's just way of saying, here I am, Right? Jesus said, behold, I I stand at the door and knock, but sin is there knocking too, constantly. Being like, just engage in me. Just open up a little to me. Why? Because you'll enjoy it. The Bible tells us, like, sin is enjoyable for a season, but it leads us to destruction. Colossians 3, 5 through 6, we see um, this text where Paul is writing to the church in Colossus, and he says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What do I think Paul was writing to us? What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying this, kill sin or it will kill you. Listen to me, church. Kill sin or it will kill you. This text that Jesus gives us, this teaching, which he is actually giving to the disciples, is the strongest, one of the strongest, most radical statements that we see from our Savior Jesus. An aggressive call to deal with sin. I mean, this is pretty aggressive, right? You guys heard me say, like, cut it off, cut it off, pluck it out. Like, rip out your eye, cut off your hand. This is aggressive, it is um, challenging, and we need in this moment to look and to, to look inward and to process to say, God, have I been walking with you superficially? You see, comfortable Christians are superficial Christians. It's all about superficiality. I mean, I I tuned in live, so I'm good, right? I mean, I watched church once this month, so I'm good. But God is calling us to more than that. I want to share this statement with you. The comfort of of sin, the comfort of sin, because it's comfortable, leads to a diminished life. 
But the discomfort of holiness leads to an empowered life. So listen, sin is comfortable. Holiness is uncomfortable. I just want to be honest with you. Because sometimes we think, well, I mean, it should be easy to be righteous and holy, right? No, no, no. Especially in this world, if you walk around in this world, if you're living in this world different than the world, you're going to be uncomfortable because you're not going to look like your coworkers. You're not going to look like your friends. You're not going to look like what the world says you should look like. You're not going to talk the same way, act the same way, joke the same way, think the same way. Being righteous is uncomfortable. But the discomfort of holiness leads to an empowered life. The comfortability of sin will lead to a diminished life. So it may be comfortable in the moment, but very quickly you will realize that your life is being diminished. So now you're, you're like, Caleb, okay, this is good. I mean, I like it, but okay, I'm ready for the grace moment. You know, like, you're telling me to cut out sin. You're telling me to be righteous. You're telling me sin is comfortable and, and, and you know, holiness is uncomfortable. But, but give me the grace, grace moment. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I'm all for grace. You guys know that. The grace of God, the Bible talks to us about it. But the grace of God and his goodness does not negate the pursuit of holiness. And I think what we've done in the church is we preach grace, 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 love, 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 right? Hope, 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 just trust in God and you're good. And we negate the pursuit of holiness. And Jesus here is saying, no, you have to do something. Now, is my grace free? Is it unmerited? Yeah, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of that. But when you love God and you have relationship with God, you will pursue holiness out of the overflow of the connection that you have with your Savior. And that means at times we need to be reminded to be holy. We need to be reminded to pursue righteousness. We need to be reminded that it's uncomfortable to be righteous. It's uncomfortable to be holy, but that doesn't say we shouldn't pursue it. And so, as we look even at the scriptures, the writer of Hebrews tells us that without holiness, no one will see God. Listen, did you hear that? Without holiness, no one will see God. What he's saying is, yes, there's grace. Yes, Jesus covers your sin. But if you are not committed to pursuing holiness, then you are not really in relationship with your Savior. That's basically what the, the, the text is telling us. So I want to talk to you about some cues that you're a comfortable Christian. So you guys know what a cue is? Um, and, and, and a cue, C-U-E, all right, it's kind of a weird word if you really like. I kept reading it and saying it, and the word got weirder to me as I was preparing. I'm like, Q, Q, what is happening? C-U-E, is that a word? It is a thing said or done that serves as a signal. Everybody say signal. A thing said or done that serves as a signal. So this last week, um, we, we went glamping. Because if any of y'all know Chrissy, she ain't about that camping life, okay? Um, she, she's like, okay, if there's a bed and like a pre-made tent, uh, I might camp, all right? And so that's what we did. We had a queen bed um, under a, you know, pre-built tent that was the size of like my bedroom. It was incredible. But on the first night, we're walking by the river and something bites me or stings me. I still don't know what it was. Got me in the foot. And I'm like, oh, it's like a needle in my foot. I'm like, man, that hurt. What was that? And uh, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, I stuck it in the river, let it cool off a little bit. Um, I get back to our tent, and w- within, you know, 15 minutes, my foot has already started to expand. It is large. And I'm like, this, this isn't right. And so I know, like, some of the things you're supposed to do. So I took Benadryl. Um, I took an ibuprofen. And I went to bed. And the next morning, I woke up, and my foot is now twice the size it normally is. And I'm like, yo, this is bad. Like, there was a signal, a cue, that something was wrong, right? Like, the cue was, I can't walk, and my foot is twice the size it normally is. So I got on a call with a doctor. You know, they don't do any in-person meetings right now, but they're like, they'll do a video call. So I'm at my campsite, my glamp site, and uh, 
And I get on the video call and I show the doctor and she's like, oh, it doesn't look that bad. And I'm like, yo, woman, doc, woman, maybe the video isn't doing it justice. But let me tell you, there is a signal right now telling me I need some medicine because I can't walk. My foot is completely red and it's twice the size. And I'm like showing, I'm like, do you not see the difference? Like, my foot is normally skinny. This ain't right. And she's like, let's just wait another 24 hours. And so 24 hours later, it was even bigger. Now it's like three times. And the next doctor was like, yo, we need to get you some, some antibiotics right now. He did. I'm good now. Come on, everybody. Give it up for modern medicine. Let's be real. Women just tend to think that we men are, are just soft, okay? She was like, he's being a wuss. She didn't believe me. But the cue... The cue is live, so we can't cut anything out. <laughs> the cue told me, the signal told me that something was wrong. So I want to give you some cues that you're a comfortable Christian. First, your faith is just about you. That's the first cue that you're a comfortable Christian. Verse 42, whoever causes... One of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So what is Jesus calling the disciples to? He's actually, he's teaching the disciples. This isn't like a teaching to the, the thousands or, or the, the masses, the crowds. No, this is just the disciples. And he's, he teaches them to this. And what he's calling them to is a radical concern for others. A radical concern for others and how they live their lives as Christians. Now, this is not the American perspective. And I worry that in this moment, right, when there's a lot going on in, in our world, that we have got pulled into in a, in a political season with racial unrest and division, um, you know, police brutality and that conversation. We've got pulled into this perspective, even as Christians, that it's only about me, what I think, what I believe. But Jesus is calling them to a radical concern for others, for others and their faith journey, their faith walk. He's saying to them, don't let your life lead others into sin or astray. You see, this isn't speaking about actual children. I think I read this when I was a younger, you know, follower of Christ, and I read this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have this millstone thrown around their neck, right, and then be thrown into the sea. And I read that, I'm like, oh, so they're talking about, like, don't, like, let kids, you know, like, see you doing bad stuff, or don't do anything to harm a, a, ch a child. But Jesus has just gotten done, you guys were with me um, over these last few weeks before this series we just finished, when we were in the book of Mark, teaching them about how they all need to become like little children. He said, if you're going to come unto me, come unto my father, you need to become like a little child. He's teaching the disciples, and they have just been arguing about who's the greatest. You guys remember that? Just a few verses earlier, the same chapter, they're saying, like, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit at the right hand of God, of Jesus? Who's the one? And he's saying, no, no, no. You need to understand that when we come to Jesus, we're like little children. We need to come to Jesus like little children. But also, Jesus teaches regularly that in this faith journey, we start out as children, don't we? And then we grow in maturity, correct, in our faith. The Bible talks, and Paul teaches on it like, you start with milk, but eventually you need solid food in your faith journey. You start with the baby's milk as a follower of Christ, but eventually you need solid foods. You need to digest, you know, heavier things, weightier things, deeper things. And so what Jesus is teaching them here is he's saying, look, you have to protect the new believers in the faith. You have to live in a way that leads them closer to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Because there are people who are just coming into the faith, just beginning to understand Christ. And if you are living a certain way, they're going to look at you and say, well, they've been with Jesus for a long time. And if they can do that, then I think I can do that. And before you know it, they're caught in the same sin that you're struggling with. You know what I love about kids? They get saved every week. <laughs> you know, you ever been to kids' church? I remember being in kids' church, and every week they're like, who wants to accept Jesus? I'm like, me. Why? Because they presented to me the gospel of, if you love Jesus, 
and you believe he died and rose from the dead, then you can be with him in heaven forever. I'm like, I'm down with that. So every week, who wants to, raise, to, to give their life to Jesus? I'm raising my hand like, yeah, let's pray again. And that's how kids are. Like, they just accept it. My kids, I talk to them about the gospel. They're like, oh, yeah, that just makes sense. But as we get older, we become skeptical. We begin to question what Jesus is saying. Come to me like little children with faith. Matthew 18 actually expounds on this same teaching. And I'm going to look at verse 2, and then I might jump to 6 and 7. It says, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's this command. Become like children. Humble yourselves. Accept my teaching. 6 and 7. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fast around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Did you see that? So the, Jesus expounds a little bit. The uh, book of Matthew gives us a little more teaching on this same text, um, this same moment when Jesus taught this. It says, be careful you who would be the ones that cause temptation. So in an individual Americanized Christianity where it's all about me, my faith, what I believe, me being good with God, we have forgotten that Jesus calls us to set an example for other believers. That our life actually pulls people towards Jesus, not pushes them away from Jesus. That how we live and how we engage with sin, right, shows to others what it looks like to follow Christ. There is someone following you. There is someone looking up to you. Listen to me, church. Listen online. There are people watching you. They're watching you. It's creepy, I know. Not just the government. Not just the tracer program, all right? There are people watching you. If you have children, they're always watching you. If you have friends, they're watching your life. How you live. And we have a responsibility to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ from sin. We have a responsibility to point our brothers and sisters in Christ to our Savior. Jesus is teaching his disciples. Why? That we, so that we would lead others closer to Jesus, not away from him. That is our call. So the first cue, you're a comfortable Christian, your faith is just about you. Second cue, you're a comfortable Christian, is you're okay with what's not good for you. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about because you've been eating horrible through this pandemic. All right, let's be real. Y'all are eating trash. So he goes on, verse 43 through 48, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled with, than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Oh, man. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown in hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So what is Jesus doing here? He's using hyperbole, okay? Which is an intentional overstatement, if you don't know what hyperbole is. Intentional overstatement. Everybody say overstatement. He is not literally meaning cut your hand off if you sin. Pluck your eye out if it causes you to sin. Because, yeah, we'd all be blind and have no hands, no feet, like right now, if we are really following Christ the way this text tells us to, he's using this intentional overstatement, hyperbole, to emphasize the seriousness of sin and emphasize his point. The point is that nothing, listen to me, nothing should be more important in our lives than God. Do you hear me? Nothing should be more important in our lives than following Christ, than, than pursuing a relationship with Christ. Nothing should be more important than that. Jesus' sober reminder shows us that the severity of the judgment from these sins is hell. Do you hear me? I mean, I know church, you're online, you're like, Caleb, don't talk to me about hell today. I mean, it's 110 degrees outside, you know what I'm saying? Like, we feel like we're in hell here in Sacramento right now. But I, I just want to tell you that Jesus is clear. He doesn't pull any punches, as they say. He is letting them know this 
is the punishment of a life of sin. It's hell. We don't talk about hell in the church anymore. We don't talk about punishment anymore. Caleb, when's the grace talk coming? I'll get there. But he's saying to them, he's reminding them, he's saying, listen, this is what's coming. He's calling for a radical dealing with sin in our lives. And listen to me, church, you cannot just deal with sin in the physical. Because if you did, you'd all be, have no hands and no eyes and no feet right now. He's saying it has to start in the heart. You deal with sin by getting to the root. And I think Jesus is using this intentional overstatement to show us the importance of getting to the root of what's causing you to sin. Jesus knows that it's more than the physical action. Mark 7, 20 through 21, I taught on this a few you know, months back. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Jesus is saying, it's not about what you eat, right? It's not about how well you wash yourself, or wash your hands. He's saying, what defiles you comes from within. It comes from your heart. It starts on the inside, and you must remove it radically. Listen, there, there's a thing going on on social media right now, and my friend the other day, I sent him this video on Instagram, and it was a funny video. It was like a golf video because I, I love, you know, all the golf memes and all that good stuff. I, I love to play golf. And so I sent it to him. He's like, man, I can't see it. I'm like, why not? He's like, I don't have Instagram. I said, why not? He said, because it's a thirst trap. I said, say, what? What's a thirst trap? This is what the kids say these days, okay? He said, you know, like, I'm thirsty as a human being for sin. My eyes are thirsty to look at things I shouldn't look at. And he said, I had to cut Instagram out of my life. He took this scripture literally, and I like it. He said, dude, I was getting caught up in looking at things I shouldn't look at. My mind was going places it shouldn't go, and so I cut it out of my life. Social media, maybe a relationship that's causing you to sin. People you hang around that are pulling you down rather than leading you to Christ. Maybe it's alcohol because you know you're abusing it. You're not using it in moderation. Why would I call you and say maybe you need to cut something out of your life? Because it's about your eternal destiny. It's about the eternity that you have. And it's about you living the fullest life right now. And if you allow sin to grab a hold of you, if you allow yourself to get caught in the thirst trap, some of you need to go to the flip phone, you know what I'm saying? It's cool now, you could just say, yeah, I'm retro. You know, like, I got the flip phone, I'm retro. That's how I roll, and people are like, that's dope, yo. Like, we must be dedicated to the elimination of sin from our lives. Why? Because if you tolerate sin, it will kill you. You either kill it, or it kills you. Listen to me, if you don't deal with it more than just being a... a this momentary carnal Christian, it's going to affect your eternal destiny. But grace, Caleb, forgiveness. Listen, it's not about perfection. Hear me, church. I'm not telling you you have to be perfect. Jesus came because he knew we couldn't be. But it is, as followers of Christ, salvation is identified by a desire to eliminate the things from your life that dishonor God. Following Christ is identified by how much we love God and how much we want to be closer to God. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Some of you aren't going to like this verse. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Oh, this isn't a verse I've ever preached on, because I didn't like it. But here, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is like the end of 2 Corinthians. This is the final, uh, the ending of the letter he writes to the church in Corinth. He wrote, he wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. This is the end, and they had a lot of problems, all right? They were jacked up just like us, okay? Uh, they had a lot of sexual problems, you know, um, spiritual problems, abuse problems. I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the church in Corinth. 
And Paul calls them. He says, listen, you need to test yourself. You need to examine yourself. You need to look and see if you are in the faith. And how do you test yourself? You test yourself by the fruit in which your life bears. You see, we can tell a tree by its fruit. Jesus tells us this. And some of us in this moment need to look at the fruit of our lives. And I think it's difficult because we feel a little frumpy right now. We're all in our comfortable clothes every day. I'm in my basketball shorts and my cutoffs, you know, working from home every day. I'm not around people as much. I'm not engaging in relationship as much. And we become comfortable. And in this moment of comfortability, we've actually become okay with what's not good for us. We've been, become okay with the sin and the things of this world that are tearing us down. A mark of every Christian is a desire for holiness. The comfort of sin, I said earlier, leads to a diminished life. The discomfort of holiness leads to an empowered life. Let me illustrate this for you. I think a lot of you out there, some of you in this room, like you like junk food. Let's be real. If you like a little bit of junk food, just raise your hand. Throw me an emoji. Okay, hands going up. Last night... I downed some Haagen-Dazs chocolate and peanut butter ice cream. Oh, my goodness. It was fire, okay? And I ate it, and this is what sugar does to me. I ate it, and I just passed out like 30 seconds later. Just fell asleep. It was like 9 o'clock. I'm like, out. Um, but, man, there's something about unhealthy things that is, it brings comfort. That's why they call it comfort food. And most comfort foods are not good for you. Let's be real. So we eat fast food, junk food, chips, ice cream, candy. Oh, man, I feel, I'm, I'm getting inspired right now. <laughs> and it is so comfortable. Like, but how many know if your diet consists of that, before you know it, you're living a diminished life? Before you know it, you don't feel good anymore. It may feel good in the moment. Like, I felt great eating that ice cream last night. But I got to be honest, I woke up this morning, didn't feel as great that I ate that right before bed. And so over time, the junk we put in our lives, the sin we put in our lives, and I'm not saying junk food is sin. You guys can, you know, we all need a Snickers now and then. But I am saying that in the same way, it feels comfortable at first. Sin feels good at first, feels comfortable at first, but it leads to a diminished life, a less life. Now, let me... Bring it to exercise. How I many know exercise is uncomfortable? Especially when you start. So I, I hadn't worked out in like, you know, five months of quarantine. And so I went to title boxing the other day. And they were doing this like mostly body workout. But we had 20-pound kettlebells. I don't know if you know what kettlebell is. But it's a little weight with a handle. And so we're doing a kettlebell workout, 20 pounds. And I'm like, Psh. 20 pounds, I'm a man, I'm a beast, like, this is weak stuff, right, and so I do this workout, and it was, I'm at this class, it was all women and me, I was the only dude in the class, which is cool, um, but, but I'm there, and the women are all going super hard, and I'm like, dang, these girls are like getting it, and I'm like trying to do the workout, and I'm like, but it's 20 pounds, it's no big deal, and I'm, as the thing's going, I mean, I am so uncomfortable, I think I'm going to throw up, I feel horrible, the next day, I was so sore because we were doing these lunge stuff. I can't, my pants are too tight, y'all. I can't do it. Uh, we were doing these lunges. Right? We were doing, <laughs> Chrissy loves when I do things like this. We're doing these lunges. The next day, I couldn't even sit on the toilet, y'all. Like, I'm like, oh, God. You've been there. You've been there. It hurts so bad. My legs were hurting so bad. They're so sore. The uncomfortability, the discomfort. But let me tell you, after a couple weeks of that, after a month of that, after a couple months of that, now that discomfort isn't the same. It's different. Now when I start going, I feel stronger. I feel more powerful. It's the same way with righteousness and holiness. 
It may be uncomfortable at first because you look different than the world. And your friends are going, why are you acting like that? Why are you not laughing at the same jokes? Why are you not telling the same jokes? Why are you not using the same words we use? When the world says, why are you abstaining from that? Why are you not watching that? Why are you waiting to have sex until marriage? All of these things. The world, and we feel uncomfortable, but over time, you know what it does? It leads to an empowered life. It leads to a more powerful life, a stronger life. And that's what God wants for you. And the last cue that you're a comfortable Christian is your salt keeps getting less salty. So verse 49 says, for everyone will be salted with fire. So I read that. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Let me read that. What, what, everyone will be salted with fire. What, what is this talking about? Salt was a part of their sacrifice. So if you know anything about the Old Testament, Jesus is teaching the disciples, they would have known the law. You know, they're in Judaism. Le- Leviticus details the different offerings or sacrifices. One was the grain offering. You would bring from your field your grain, and you offered it there with salt in it. You would take salt, the salt would be there for you, and you would put it in your offering, your grain offering. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's saying, who's the offering? He's saying, you are. Our lives will become a sacrifice to God. Jews would have understood this. The same thing we hear in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, one of my favorite texts. He says, you are living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. Let your life be a spiritual act of worship. Your life. It's not about what you bring or kill. It's about how you live. So what he's saying to them, he's saying, everyone will be salted with fire. He's saying, your life is an offering. And as you bring your life as an offering to God, it becomes more salty. And then he goes on to verse 50. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now some of you are going, well, salt can't lose its saltiness? Or does it? You see, I, I began to study and research. Salt in that day was mixed with other chemicals. They would go get the salt from near the Dead Sea normally. That's where they gathered a lot of the salt from. So they'd go get the salt from near the Dead Sea. But the salt would often get mixed with a chemical called gypsum. So I'm getting technical on you, all right? And when it got mixed with the gypsum, what happened is the gypsum would remove the saltiness of the salt. It would dilute the salt. So what Jesus is saying to them here, he's saying, don't water down your Christianity. He's saying, don't allow your saltiness to be diluted by the world that you're around every day. You're losing your saltiness because of this culture. That's what he's saying. And so I want to ask you, do people get a sense that you are a follower of Christ based on how you live, how you talk, how you act, how you joke, what you say? He's saying, Jesus is saying, be salty. And I said it earlier, we need to take back that word, church. We need some salty Christians. We need to redefine this word. Because the things of this world want to dilute our saltiness. And so I want to ask you today as we close, some of you need to make some changes today. I want to ask you, what do you need to change? And hear me this, church. There is nothing that you give up that will not come back to you a hundred times in the kingdom of God. And so some of you right now are going, but I, gotta, I don't want to give it up. I don't want to give up that relationship. I want to give up my phone. I don't want to give up Instagram. I don't want to give up those friendships. I don't want to give up this, that. Listen, let the Holy Spirit lead you. But I wanted to encourage you because some of you are going to sense or feel like you're going to be losing out on something. And God is saying to you today, I will repay you a hundred times in my kingdom what you give up for me. I will repay you more, more than what you could ever give up in my name. Why? Because that's what our God does. The kingdom of God is a, is a kingdom of return. 
God wants to give back to us. He wants to pour out on us. But this text ends. I want to read it in the message. Verse 50. I'm going to close with this. He says, everyone's going through a refining fire sooner or later. But you'll be well preserved, protected from the eternal flames. Be preservatives yourselves. Preserve the peace. This is what it says in the message, verse 50. I love this. First of all, everyone is going to go through a refining fire sooner or later. And let me tell you, we've been in a refining fire, church. We've been in a refining fire. I know none of us wanted this. None of us would have chosen this moment, this pandemic, this shutdown, whatever you want to call it. None of us would have chosen this. And yet God is using it to refine us. The problem is that many of us have allowed ourselves in the fire to become comfortable. And we're sitting in our comfortability, in our sin, and we're becoming more and more like the world and less and less like Christ. And he's calling us in this moment. He's saying, this is a refining fire moment. Are you going to let it refine you? Or are you going to let it destroy you? Are you going to let this moment make you stronger? Or are you going to let it diminish the life that you've been called to? And here's what's so amazing about it. It's God is saying, I'm here to give you the strength you need to be refined through the fire. It's not about your strength, because some of you are like, Caleb, you've been talking to me about how i got to get sin out, i got to cut. Yes, you may have to take some actions today, but at the end of the day, you have a Savior that will give you all the strength you need to cut out whatever it is you need to cut out of your life. But he ends, he says, be preservatives and preserve the peace. Listen to me, church. We are in a moment of chaos. We are in a moment of division. We are in a moment where we feel opposed politically, opposed socially, economically, on all these, like, major ideas. We feel opposed. But this is saying, Christians, you preserve the peace. You bring peace. You carry peace. And you do it first with one another. Because some of us have forgotten that as followers of Christ, we are to live at peace with one another. Jesus is teaching the disciples. He says, be at peace with one another. It has to start here with the church. How can we bring peace to the world if we're not even at peace with each other? So my challenge to you is that even in the hard conversations, even in disagreements, even when you're on different sides of the aisle, that you would say, I'm still at peace with I can disagree and still love you and be at peace with you. In fact, let's keep having these hard conversations because they're going to refine us like fire. They're going to bring us closer together. So today, church, I want to present to you the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that while we're called to be righteous and holy, You'll never be righteous enough or holy enough. And so I'm challenging you today to change some things. I'm challenging you today to cut some things out. But I'm also letting you know there is hope, and it's not in your strength or your power or your ability to resist sin. The hope is only in the saving power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, if you say, Jesus, just give me more of you. Jesus, I just want to be closer to you. Guess what he'll do? He'll start to show you what you need to cut out. And he'll give you the strength to cut what you need to cut out. And he'll bring the comfort and the peace that you're called to carry in this world. The problem is in this moment, we're actually pushing away from Jesus instead of drawing closer to Jesus. We're actually becoming less salty instead of more salty. Less light instead of more light. And it's really simple. All you have to do is cry out to him and say his name, Jesus. Jesus some of you right now where you are need to cry out Jesus. Jesus change me inside. How can I live outside? How can I resist sin if you don't change me inside? So I don't know what you need to cut out. I want you to pray you and God this week today, later today. God what do I need to cut out? But I also want you to just cry out to him. Say Jesus I need you to be peace, to be salt, to be light 
to carry the hope you've called me to carry. I want to draw closer to you in this moment, not walk further away from you. So can we pray? I know that today we have somebody out there that maybe doesn't know Jesus, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. If you're here, these people are all praying right now. They're praying for your faith. If you're listening to this, you say, Caleb, I have not had a right relationship with Jesus. In fact, when you talk about testing my faith, if I really tested my faith and looked at the fruit of my faith, I'm actually far from God. And maybe today you need to come back into right relationship with God. You need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. I want to pray for you. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I love you. I'm nothing without you. Refine me with fire. Cut out what needs to go. Help me to be salty, to be light, to bring peace. Jesus, you're my Savior. And today, I commit myself to you. In your name. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for all of us out there. Jesus, I just pray right now for everyone listening to this. We need to cut some things out of my life. I I was convicted by this message, Lord. You know that there's things I need to cut out of my life. So, Lord, May I not let go of the saltiness, not lean into you calling me to be more salty, to let this moment to refine me, this fire moment to refine me. God, cut the sin out of our lives. Help us to be more righteous, to pursue holiness. Why? Because that's the the empowered life that you have for us. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Church, thank you for joining us online, live, live. We're going to sing one last song before we go, but I want you to know we're praying for you. If you gave your life to Jesus just now, click that link below. We love to just interact with you, connect with you this week. But hey, we love you guys. We're praying for you. God bless you. Let's sing this last song together before we go. We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving Uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.